For four weeks, that poor hamster has been running. <laughs> and I'm still tired. We, we recognize that uh, we are in the end of our series that we've entitled The Chase here today. And yeah, for four weeks, that, that hamster's been running on that wheel. After what? We're not quite sure. But we know that it reminds us of the kinds of frantic, frenzied chase that we all feel within our spirit. We all know that we are in this tireless pursuing of something. Uh, we, are, we, we find within us this, this deep sense of restlessness. And at the end of some days, we find ourselves exhausted by our own inner churnings. Uh, and it's those things that we pursue that leave us weary, that leave us tired of spirit. And of course, we hope that what we're chasing at the end of the day provides us with some fulfillment or peace or joy. But when we're honest with ourselves in quiet moments, we wonder if it actually will. We ask ourselves the question, will what we're pursuing actually bring us what it is that we're longing for? And when we're honest with ourselves, we are desperate to figure this out, aren't we? To know for ourselves. Nobody longs to, to live life that's filled and fueled by anxiety. Nobody wants to be restless. We all long for rest from that series, that season of restlessness. We all long for contentment. And if we could discover how to find contentment, then it's possible that we might be able to free, be freed from this constant striving. Wouldn't it be great to move uh, from this, let's take a look, from this, wait for, huh, wait, mm, no, not quite yet, <laughs> to that. <laughs> let's give a hand for our hamster who finally made his way off. It's about time we gave that poor hamster a break, and uh, it's about time we give ourselves a break. It's about time that we find within our life the things that really do give us the sense of joy and contentment and peace that, that we're yearning for. Now, throughout the series, we've been talking about the fact that the opposite of restlessness is contentment, and contentment we've defined as this inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in the providence of God. The quiet, inward, joyful spirit that joyfully rests in the providence of God. And for four weeks, we've been trying to figure out how it is that we can get there. Uh, during week one, I suggested that at the root of our restlessness, of our striving, is, is the fact that we have disordered loves. Uh, we fail to love the best thing best, and we, we replace that best thing with other loves that we love more. And, uh, and at the root of our restlessness and our chase is this need to, to right the order of our loves and to resist those disordered loves, to say no to them. Then Pastor Jeanette spoke about the disordered love of security, one that drives us to worry and misplaced confidence in money and, and material possessions. Last week here in Lexington, Pastor Dave spoke about the disordered love of accomplishment and success. How when we get caught up in that, we, we fall prey to the grip of great, trapped by our clenched fist. And this last week as well in Watertown, Pastor Stephen talked about a disordered love for more 
And in Foxborough, Pastor Tom spoke about our disordered thoughts. Well, today I'd like us to move from the place of resisting those disordered loves to the place of embracing the, our first love, that love which ought to take top billing. Because if the true answer to our restlessness is bringing order to our disordered loves, then our primary move towards contentment is to love most what is best. To love most what is best. And what that means is to love God first and best. To place our affections and our hearts and our love first and foremost on the person of God and then to let everything else order itself after that first love. Jesus said it well. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What an important first order priority. Now as an aside, or maybe the main point today, there are very few people in our world who are trying to get us to settle down and to find contentment. As a matter of fact, most people want to fuel our, our levels of discontent because they want to make us restless for the thing that they promise will offer us rest from our restlessness, which they're likely telling us they have and we can purchase it from them. And at the same time, there are certainly few people who, when we do talk about contentment, actually are encouraging us to look to God for the source of that contentment, which is why we come together like this on Sunday mornings and remind ourselves of the centrality of these things because no one else in our world is urging us towards this goal. And we need to encourage each other towards this. It's so important. It's why finding contentment isn't, isn't a life of resignation. It's a life of deep resolve that we need to lean in, lean into, and we do that together. It's a resolve to love God first and best. Well, I couldn't find a better place to root our conversation this morning than Psalm 16. This psalm is a potent declaration of the songwriter's confidence in God. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We'll have portions of it on the screen as well. The truth is this psalm, Psalm 16, has been for my wife Julie and I uh, like a home that we return to time and time again throughout our lives. Uh, at times of plenty and at, especially at times of want when we're feeling at the low ebb of, of the provision that we have for ourselves and family. Uh, it, it becomes this reset for our spirits and reminds us of how important it is to center our lives on God and why it is that when we do that, it's so good and rich for the soul. And it's been a guide for me personally in those moments when I find the restlessness in my own spirit uh, rising up and when I find myself giving to worry or fretfulness or anxiety or control. So hear the words of this psalm as I read it in its entirety and allow it to wash over you. Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will increase their suffering. I will not pour out their libations of blood to such gods or take up their name on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. 
Surely the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you allow your faithful one to see decay. You make known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. What a beautiful psalm, and I found that this psalm can act as a reset to to reorder our lives when things get disordered. And I just suggest that there are three truths from it that we can take away this morning that if we lean into, we'll find ourselves leaning into the very one who brings us a sense of peace in our life. And the truth, number one, is simply this, that God is at the center of our good and that good is at the heart of our God. God is at the center of our good and good is at the heart of our God. Now, often people don't believe this. They hear God's word where he calls us to to worship him and to listen to him and to obey his instruction. And they feel like God is needy or demanding or capricious or maybe controlling when he says, worship me, put me first, pay attention to how I want you to live. It's true, God does ask these things of us and he does make these statements to give him top billing in our hearts, to involve him regularly in our lives and in our decision-making to worship him as first and foremost, to consider often his nature and his personality and to be responsive to his guidance and his instruction. Now, there are two possible reasons that God would call us to such a thing. The first possibility is that God is greedy. The second possibility is that God is truly good. And maybe you're here this morning and you've lived all of your life under the assumption that the number one possibility is true, that God is greedy, that he's demanding of our love, that he's stingy with his good gifts to us, that that he's wanting to steal our freedoms or rob us of joy, all that he might be made more glorified and, and more great. Can I just say, if that's you and you're here this morning, could I'd like you to at least consider today that option number two might be true. Consider the possibility that he calls us to love him first because he created us out of love and desires good things for us. Consider the possibility that God is actually good, that in his wisdom and understanding, he knows that the way for us to live our best lives is to draw near to him and to allow him to order our lives aright. Because he loves us well. Because he is the one who can bring us what we most deeply long for. The early church fathers in much of their writings talk about why it is that when we place our confidence in God that we find deep contentment. They, they explain that, that, that it's because that God in his very essence is fully content 
in himself. That he is at peace, that he is the center of this deep and abiding shalom. That from the very beginning of time and even before then, God has existed in three persons, God the Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect community, a perfect joy, perfect mutuality of love, and that God was not wanting for anything in that moment and in those uh, experiences as the Godhead. But God is also gracious, and so he lovingly chose to share that beauty of his own essence with creation. That he, that he deemed fit to create, which includes all of us. And so when we receive the goodness of God, it's all pure grace. And when we enter in to the beauty of the Trinity, the beauty of God himself, we find ourselves discovering the source of deep contentment. Because God is confident in his own sovereign purposes. He is certain and steadfast in the outcome of all of creation. And he's actively at work bringing it together. And this deep shalom, this rich peace is one that is eternal. It comes from beginning of time and it lasts to after time stands still and comes to a close. And in rich measure, God chooses graciously to offer that to us, to all who he has made. So at the heart of good is God. And at the heart of God is good. And if we want to know contentment, we need to go to the source, to the one who is fully content in himself. himself. This is why when life drives us towards anxiety and restlessness and we're driven to throw ourselves from one activity to another, from one cause to another, from, from one pleasure to another, from aspiration to aspiration and addiction to addiction, hoping desperately to, that some combination of these things will, will bring us peace, might fill that gaping hole in our hearts. It's why the very best thing to do at that moment is to stop and settle ourselves very deeply in God. Augustine put it this way. He said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. The psalmist said, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. God is at the center of our good, and good is at the heart of our God. That's the first truth. Truth number two is simple, that our lives become full when seen as an expression of the goodness of God. That our lives become full when we see them as an expression of the goodness of God. At the heart of this poem are these words, hear them. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I wonder if you ever think of your life that way. The boundary lines of my life have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You see, to those who wrestle with feelings of loss or lack or poverty or being left out or dissatisfaction with life, God reminds us that the the acreage of our lives, the length and the breadth of it, have been paced out and assigned to us directly by God himself. He has assigned it to us. 
He wants you to see your life as a delightful inheritance, not a series of disconnected disappointments, one to the other to another. The psalmist draws on this image of of the settling of the promised land back in the time of Joshua. It it was the place, that land, where, where Israel had dreamed about someday living, and they had taken a long time to get there. And for generations, they'd been longing to enter into that land and to to live in it. It it was these choicest plots called the land flowing with milk and honey, a place to grow good crops, to to, to raise a family, to form a community. And, And when the day came for the people of God to inhabit the land, the land was divided for the tribes. And as they made their way in, they cast lots to discover who it was that would inhabit what portion. And the lots were a reminder that it's God who assigns, not us. It's God who brings us each to the place of our own property. This is the metaphor that the psalmist uses. The landscape of your life, he says, is likened to the parcels of earth that the people of Israel traveled for so long to get to. Your life is like the promised land. Do you see it that way? as a gift from the hand of God. Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely, I have a delightful inheritance. Why is it that we find ourselves discontent all the time in life? It's because we don't believe this. Because we lose sight of it. Because we fail to see that that the landscape of our life is actually something good that's been given to us by God. We often find ourselves instead resenting it, wondering if the grass is greener on the other side. You see, there are actually two ways we can look at our life, and we have a choice to make here. We either live our lives on the restless edge of life, looking over to see if the grass is greener, looking over to see if the pool is bigger, looking over to see if the, the, the car is nicer or the wife or husband is more handsome or more beautiful or the kids are, are more well-behaved or whatever it is, looking over the fence. We either live our lives on that restless edge or we live our lives in the grateful center of what God has given to us. We either live on the restless edge or we live in the grateful center trusting deeply in God's provision and in his providence, his good and loving care over you. Where are you living these days? I was thinking about this just this week, uh, thinking about how quickly I become discontent with my life and how easy it is to see what's lacking in life, what, what, what's, missing out, uh, what's missing out and what's beautiful and uh, good because I'm, I'm looking at the things that are frustrating me. So I was thinking about these things, and uh, we have a pool at home, and I was setting it up. It's, it's not exactly a pool as, it, as much as it is a container that we can put some water in and uh, a few kids from time to time. It's one of those pools that uh, if you actually fill it up and put six adults in it, uh, the water rises and overflows. It's so small. And uh, I, I was putting this pool up a little late in the year this year, so uh, I was quick to, to sort of level the ground. And, and our pool, which is a round, flat pool, this year actually has a feature. It has a deep end uh, on one side and a shallow end on the other. And I'm looking at it, and Julie said, why'd you put it up like that? And I looked at her 
like that. And I said, that's not the question to ask at this point when it's full of water. Um, and uh, this year, as I slept it out of my rickety old shed, which isn't as much a shed as it is a temporary housing for critters and rodents, it's one of those sheds that when you go in and you lift up uh, one of the Tupperware containers, you see, you know, heads of little mice are peeking out at you and you close it quickly and shove it back into the corner. So this is how I was feeling as I was setting up my tent. Last year, the ladder of the pool broke when some big person stepped on it and the place where it was rusty gave way. So I had to buy a new, a new ladder this year, which cost half the cost of the whole pool to begin with. And so I was on my deck setting up this ladder and getting it all you know, in order. And these thoughts were running through my head. I was thinking about uh, how much how much longer this ladder is going to last than that pool. Like, <laughs> this ladder is going to outlast the pool by years, I'm certain. And as I was griping in my mind and bitter about that old pool and frustrated, you know, that I am our family's pool boy and uh, a bit sad uh, about the, the fact that this is the best we can do and the little plot that we have, as I was thinking these very thoughts, my little girl, Abby, was in the pool with uh, about three of her friends, four of her friends, and my older daughter, and uh, all of a sudden, she pokes her head from out of the pool over the edge, and she said, Dad, this is the best pool ever. <laughs> and I thought, yes, thank you, Abby. I thought, man, she just called me out, a seven-year-old girl, that, that I couldn't believe it. She was teaching me at that very moment what our problem is that I was living at the restless edge of, of the property of my life, and she called me back to the Grateful Center. You know, I, I, I'd been looking at that little $300 PVC pipe pool with, with a deep sense of resentment that was growing, and suddenly it became part of God's provision, the goodness of God and his provision to me and to my little girl and our family. And I think how often in life we need to reorient our outlook in that way. How often we need to thank God for his provision of whatever it is that he's given to us. Be it ever so simple or humble or be it rich and bountiful. I wonder if you're living on the restless edge or in the grateful center. Now I say all of this and I understand that of course there are times when, when we ask God to expand our territory, to take the outer boundaries of our lines and to to move them further out. There are times when we ask God for more, when we, when we hope for a child to fill our lives, or we long for a life partner to come and join us, or when we ask God for a new job, or a little more financial security, or a second floor, or a new venture. But we never do that walking away from God to the edge of our, of our boundaries, lifting it ourselves and moving it forward. We always do it in tandem with the God who is the provider of all good things if, if we're gonna find our place of contentment and we're gonna continue to find our place of peace. We're not turning our back on what God's given to us, but we're asking him to walk with us forward to some new territory if that's where he's leading and calling. And in the midst of it, we are faithful to trust in the outcome, and in his presence with us in the midst, and in his guidance along the way. 
And so that's what this psalm reminds us of. It reminds us that the God is at the center of our good. And good is at the heart of God, first of all. It also reminds us that our lives become full when seen as an expression of the goodness of God. Are you beginning to see why ordering your life with God at the top brings you such peace and deep shalom and rest? Well, the third truth is simply this. When storms come and winds blow, remind yourselves of truth number one and truth number two. Remind yourself in the midst of the storms and the blowing winds of the first two truths. The fact is we live in a whirlwind world where everyone is telling us all kinds of things about what will make us happy. And and we so often get ourselves spinning in all kinds of directions. And our lives today seem more fractured and factious than ever as well. The, The cultural winds that are swirling make it very easy for us to lose sight. Social unease and political turmoil and and financial stressors that press in and voices around us that are telling us, oh, do this, oh, do this, do this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And all of these voices leave us wondering what it is that we are to do next. The fact is, if contentment is an inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in the providence of God, then restlessness is an inward, demanding, clamoring spirit that fretfully scrambles in the midst of uncertainty. Where are you living these days? If you're finding yourselves demanding or clamoring or fearful or fretful or anxious, it's probably a symptom that the whirlwind, that the storm around you is getting the better of you. And in the midst of this whirlwind, it's easy to lose sight of where our help might come from and what it is that will ultimately bring us that settled peace. Some of you are here this morning and you say the thought of contentment is the last thought on my mind. You don't understand. Just recently, my life has been turned upside down and I feel like I'm living through a nightmare. I never thought I'd be in this place right now. I never thought this was going to be my life at this moment. You're saying this is the provision of God for me? We need to remember who wrote this psalm. It was David who was in the midst of being pursued by King Saul, who was chasing after him for his very life. Saul was angry with David. He was was jealous of David's success and his popularity. He wanted to take him down. He wanted to kill him. And Saul was pursuing him, King Saul with with his men, the king with the resources at his disposal to find one guy in the wilderness. And David was likely hiding out in the caves that we know he was in when he wrote this psalm. Uh, Now, it was not a great time for David. This was a time when his life was turned upside down, when he was living through his own nightmare. And I think the psalm was written as much as a cry of desperation from David's lips as it was a a psalm of trust and confidence in God. I think David knew in the midst of his storm that he needed to be reminded of these very truths that I'm sure felt far from him in these moments. He was desperate in the midst of a storm for his soul to be reminded of the goodness of God 
and God's goodness to him. Keep me safe, my God, for in you, he says, I take refuge. So David knew where to turn when the winds of life started to blow. Contemporary author Parker Palmer shares a story in the beginning of one of his books entitled A Hidden Wholeness. And in the story, he, he tells about how farmers on the Great Plains, at the first indication of a blizzard, would take out a rope and they would tie it to the back door of their home and they would unwind that rope and they would take it so that it would lead to the barn where they would spend their day. And that rope could be up hundreds of yards long, sometimes quarter of a mile or more. But they'd lay it out because they knew what would happen when the winds of that blizzard would blow. The winds across the vast uh, vacant plains would, would, would whip up the snow as it came to create whiteout conditions. And they'd heard plenty of stories about neighbors and people who, 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 who didn't make it home in the midst of the storm who left their barn and started making the way back home only to get lost in the disorienting whiteout. And they would fall to the ground and freeze and die in their own backyard. And so the rope to the barn was a ready way back. And I wonder if that's not a great metaphor for us. I wonder if, if we don't need a rope that leads us home, that we take with us. And of course, the home is, is God himself, his goodness and his provision to us so that when we find ourselves, wherever we find ourselves in life, far or near from the center, we always have in our hand a reminder of how it is that when the storms come, we bring ourselves back home to the goodness and the centrality of the one who loves us most, the one who we're called to love most. And I think about what is that rope for us? What's the rope for you that reminds you of the goodness of God? Maybe you're in a good season now and you've established some healthy patterns of reminder. Maybe some practices in your life. Maybe you spend time every day centering your mind and your thoughts on God's plan and purpose for you and on his rich goodness to you. Maybe you've got a seat or chair in your home where you sit and you read the scriptures or you spend some time in prayer. I believe our gathering here and at all of our campuses is a place that can be a rope for us, a place that reminds us of God's goodness and his goodness to us. The singer-songwriter Leonard Cohen once wrote, the blizzard of the world has crossed the threshold and it has overturned the order of our soul. The blizzard of the world has crossed the threshold and it has overturned the order of our soul. Can I encourage you not to let the blizzard of this world undo you and disorder the order of your soul? And maybe what it means is today you need to think about what is that rope that when times get difficult will lead you back to the providence the goodness, the love of God? Are there times throughout the day, throughout your week, that you are actively and persistently reminding yourself of who God is in your world? I'd encourage you this week, as a 
part of that rope to print out Psalm 16 and to read it in the morning every day to allow God to remind you of these deep things. Because when the chase rises in our spirit and when the unsettledness of our lives indicates that something is amiss, it's time to grab for the rope. Psalmist said, I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. May this be so for us. May it be true for you. May God make himself known in personal and powerful ways as you reach to him as the center of your life. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this moment, for these words that are given to us as fuel and as food and as refreshment and as reminder. God, we ask that you would lift us at those moments when we know that we need to be lifted, that you would remind us of all your vast goodness to us, that you would help us to find peace in the storm and rest for our restless hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.